Okay. If you have Bibles with you, open up to the book of Revelation chapter 5. So a few weeks ago I began a new series of messages on the Charlottetown Vineyard's ethos and values. And I told you that an ethos is the distinctive character, spirit, and attribute of a people, a culture, or an era. And I said that we have four distinctives to our ethos. They are passion. Number one, we're a passionate people. We love God, people, and life passionately. The second is freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And we're exploring the fullness of that freedom and living it out as best we can. Third is spirit. uh, That we're not content to live an intellectual and academic faith only. And we want to live a supernatural life in the power of the Holy Spirit. That we want to know God personally and intimately and experientially. Destiny is the fourth distinctive in our ethos. We want to fulfill our God-given destiny and help others do the same. There you go. And I said we have four values, and they are this. Number one is worship. Worship that touches the heart of God and inspires people. And I've told you each week, that's my highest personal value. Second is the word, our standard. It's inerrant. It's divinely inspired. Third is relationships. That we have friendships that are authentic, that are gracious, that are loving, and that are trustworthy. Who could use more friends that are gracious, loving, trustworthy, and authentic? I certainly could. Is that what we're always looking for? And the fourth value is reaching out, giving what we've got to who we can, no strings attached. And so over the coming, the past weeks and the coming weeks, I've been covering each of these. Last week, I finished up the fourth distinctive, destiny. Um, and this is what I told you, just a brief summary. I offered clear biblical evidence that God has had forethought concerning our lives. I think I took you to eight different scripture verses just to prove to you I'm not cherry-picking one verse to make a point. Eight different verses that reveal the fact, the truth, that God has forethought concerning our lives and that therefore we have divine destiny. And I told you it matters for this reason because it proves that God cares. He cares about us and he cares about you. I also told you, I exhorted you, I exhorted you passionately last week to pursue that God-given destiny. And to that end, I told you to follow your godly passions, to listen to the voice of God and follow where he leads you. And for those of us who are getting a little more gray hair or losing what gray hair we had, (laughs) it's not too late. I don't care how old you are. Consider Moses. Consider Abraham. It's not too late to fulfill your destiny. And to encourage you, I shared a quote from my friend Larry Randolph, where he says that God has factored our stupidity into our destiny. On your worst day, remember, God knew that was going to happen. He has factored my stupidity, he's factored your stupidity into your destiny. And that completed a look at the four distinctives of our ethos, passion, freedom, spirit, and destiny. Today I want to begin a look at our four values with a look at the first value, which is worship. And so to to begin, 
I want to read a passage from Revelation chapter 5, verses 11 to 14. And what I'd like you to do this morning as I read, would you close your eyes? And in your mind's eye, allow yourself to enter into the scene that's described in Revelation chapter 5. <coughs> and St. John tells us this. This is his account of what he saw in heaven. He says, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousands. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell, fell down in worship. Oh God. Oh God, I pray we would be numbered among them. We would be numbered among those on earth who join in that heavenly worship. Who sing with the thousands upon ten thousands of angels. Who join with the four and twenty elders and the living creatures around your throne and offer you the worship and praise that you are rightly due. Jesus' name. I pray today that God gives us a, a heavenly understanding of worship. Isn't that a powerful picture from Revelation 5? Just so powerful. Just amazing. Someday we will actually be there. And we'll get to witness firsthand what it's like. So let's take a look at worship this morning. What is worship? Vine's Expository Dictionary of Biblical Words states that the most common word for worship in the New Testament is proskuneo. And it means to pay respect to or to do reverence to. And it's from two Greek words. I found this interesting. Pros, which means towards, and kineo, which means to kiss. It's an act of homage or, or reverence. Think of bowing down to kiss a hand. Like a... Like um. A prince would, would bow down and kiss the hand of a princess. It's a humble act of great honor and respect. Strong's Concordance tells us that the most common Hebrew word for worship is shaka. I like the sound of that, shaka. Shaka. Anybody ever, pro, uh, not prophesied, spoke in tongues? I know, I'm sure I've spoken in tongues. It's something along the line of shaka came out of my mouth. And I was excited. That sounds like an exciting word. <laughs> and it means very similar to the Greek counterpart. It means to bow down, but, but more prostrate oneself before God in worship. Ancient Hebrews defined shakah as to pay homage to another by bowing down low or getting on your knees with your face to the ground. Even more humble uh, in description than the Greek word. 
Webster's uh, Dictionary defines worship four different ways, but the one that best suits our discussion is this, reverence offered a divine being or supernatural power, the act of expressing such reverence. It also says this, it's a, a form of religious practice with its creeds and rituals. Sometimes that's how worship is defined. In some denominations, when they hear the word worship, for them, it's not the singing that we just did. For them, in their mindset, the, the term worship means everything that happens that Sunday from the moment the doors open until they close. They, they can define that as worship. That's not the definition I'm using today. So what do I mean? What does Tom mean by the word worship? I'm speaking of the adoration and affection that we express to God. It can be expressed privately or publicly. You could do it by yourself or in a group. You can do it with or without musical accompaniment. But mostly, for the context of this message, as I'm speaking to, uh, to our community, <clears throat> I'm referring to what we just did, to the singing portion of our group gatherings, specifically at our Sunday morning services. Again, what we just finished up doing. So that's, that's my definition for worship. Why worship? Why do we do it? Well, simply and honestly, because our God is worthy to be praised. No matter what the circumstances are in our life, He's worthy to be praised. And I've praised Him from the mountaintops, <clears throat> and I've praised Him from the valley. And I think the term, a sacrifice of praise, I don't know if I've ever had to offer a sacrifice of praise from the mountaintop. But I have offered a sacrifice of praise when I'm deep in the darkest valley or the, or the most painful pit. Why worship? Because of the awesomeness of his majesty. Because of the awe and the wonder of his nature. Because of the magnificence of his love, his mercy, his grace toward me, toward you, toward us. All of that makes him vastly more worthy of our praise. Why worship? Because it is the activity of heaven. That verse I opened, those verses from Revelation chapter 5, it's a picture, it's a clear picture of what's going on around the throne. And that's not the only description. There's another scriptural description of the worship that happens around the throne, and it's a it's a chapter earlier in Revelation chapter 4. And so, yet again, I, I encourage you, close your eyes and allow yourself to enter into the scene as I describe to you what's happening in Revelation chapter 4. This is John's account. And he says, after this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me, like a trumpet, said, come up here. And I will show you what must take place after this. So do you get the picture? John is having a vision. He's having a, a heavenly experience, a divine experience. And in this vision, he looks up and sees a door open in heaven. And an invitation from God comes. He says, come up here. And so he goes up. <laughs> he looks up and boom, he goes up. <coughs> Amazing experience. Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit. God gave the invitation. He looked up and he went up. 
At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone around like an emerald encircling the throne. Surrounding the throne were four, were 24 elders, other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. And they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. In the front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. And these are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. And in the center, around the throne, were four living creatures. And they were covered with eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under the wings. And day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they are created and have their being. Can you feel that? Yes, Lord. Lord, we want to tap into that. We want to participate in that. That's the kind of worship we want to offer you, oh God. So incredibly powerful. I can't wait. I can hardly wait to get there someday and participate in it from the heaven side. Until then, I'm, I'm happy to do it on the earth side. Why worship? Why worship? Because it's one of the primary ways that we get to experience the very presence of God. You can probably feel him now as I read that scripture and describe what was happening in heaven. I could feel a weightiness of the spirit on me. I could feel it on my hands, and on my chest, and on my shoulders. And I know some of you can too. Why worship? Because it's one of the ways that we enter into the very presence of God. And it's that alone is the main reason why worship is my highest priority. Now, when I first became pastor here, there were some people who didn't really care for me. <laughs> and I, they were a little upset with me. I guess, you know, for whatever reason, I wasn't their cup of tea. God bless them. And one guy, I'm sitting in his house, and he asked me this question. He says, he said, look, just tell me, what's most important to you about church? And I looked at him as sincerely, as humbly as I could, I said, it's this, this is what I want. This is the one thing I want. I want the presence of God. I want God. I want the presence of God. All the other stuff is good. I think it's wonderful to have children's ministry. I think it's wonderful to minister to the poor, save the lost. All those things are great. But they don't come close to the presence of God. 
What do I want as a pastor? There's nothing more I want than his manifest presence. I want to experience God. And one of the reasons why worship is so central, so key, so important to me, is that I found in my life and in many others that that's the entryway. That's, the, that's like the superhighway to the presence of God. Now, I'm not saying it's the only way, but I got to answer my default. When I need to be in the presence of God, worship is, is what gets me there. Not only do I want to experience the manifest presence of God, my great passion is to help as many other people experience his presence as well. And I've found that worship helps get us from here to there. God, in his great grace, and it didn't have to be this way, but in his great grace, he so designed the interaction of worship that when we worship him, we get blessed in return. Boy, it didn't have to be that way. It could have just been all one direction. The worship just all goes to him, and we expend the energy, and we make the effort, and we demonstrate our, our adoration, and he receives it. That, I mean, that would have been fine. That would have been legitimate. But in his great love for us, when we pour out our worship to him, his response is to pour out his presence on us. And I'm not saying that God wasn't present and then he is. More accurately, what I'm saying is this. He pours out his spirit and it strips away our calluses. It takes away our deafness, our blindness, our numbness to the reality of his presence around us. Yes. So we worship him and we perceive him and we sense him and we feel him. And guys, I don't care what the problem you might be facing in your life is, more of the presence of God is the answer. A greater experience with the presence of God, a greater interacting with the spirits, the presence of God is the answer to that problem. Because it'll help change the circumstances or it'll definitely help change you. Either way, it's good. Why worship? Because in it, God has the power to wiggle past the best of our defenses and touch the deepest places of our hearts. I've shared this story with some, but years ago, we were back in West Virginia, and believe it or not, I know this is shocking, but some Christians hurt me. <laughs> some brothers and sisters did a whole slew of really mean and nasty things, and man, I was just taking all kinds of hits. Again and again and again. And, and I was hurting so bad that in my head, maybe you've been there, but I made the decision that I was just not going to feel anymore. I was so tired of feeling pain that I decided I'm going to turn my feelings off. And I can't tell you how I did it, but I did it. And for a while, it was pretty good. I was like, oh, I'm not feeling anything. And I'm not feeling any more pain. Well, so I thought. And, um, and I'm thinking, hey, this is great. But after a little while, I realized not only when I, when I flipped that switch to turn off the painful feelings, it turned off the good feelings, too. I couldn't feel love. I couldn't feel joy. I couldn't feel peace. And worst of all, I couldn't feel God. He felt like he was a million miles away. And I, kinda, I was stuck there for a while because I had turned the switch off. I couldn't find the switch to turn it back on. And it, was, it wasn't good. I really desperately wanted that that switch to turn back on. And so what did I do? I went to my default setting. And then, <clears throat> this is long before iPods or iPhones. And so 
So we had a stereo system in the house, and I popped in one of my favorite worship CDs. And we had we had headphones with a really long cable. It would probably take me like over to where Tom is sitting to plug it in. And I had the headphones over here, went into one of the side rooms. And I put the volume up as high as it could go. And then, you know, if you press in the headphones, it gets even louder, right? So I'm sitting there desperate to feel. And I got I got song going in my head. And this song came on. Um, I could sing of your love forever. Right? Over the mountains and the sea, your river runs with love for me. And then this is the heart. This is the line where I broke. And I will open up my heart and let the healer set me free. And as I sang that over and over again, guess what happened? He came in and he healed my heart and he turned the switch back on. I go back there now, I feel the power of it again. He rescued me that day. He rescued me from my, my stupidity. Worship did that. I couldn't get there on my own. I couldn't be talked into it. I couldn't pray into it. I couldn't read enough scripture into it. Nothing would help me find that switch. But when I worshipped him, his presence came. And he fixed what was broken. I'm so glad he did. Okay, so I've defined worship, what worship is. And explained from my perspective at least some of the reasons why we worship. Let's take a minute and look at how we worship. How do we worship? Well, over the ages, worship has changed. And you can look at church history and architecture and give you a clue into how that change has taken place. And I'm sure I've shared this before as well. But if you go back a thousand years, and even in some Catholic churches to this day, the very architecture of the building communicated loud and clear that the central aspect of this church service was communion. It was the Eucharist. So the buildings were constructed in such a way that there was an altar up front. And it was on that altar where the priest would perform the religious ceremony that allowed for the communion uh, service. That was the central theme of worship. The architecture makes it crystal clear. Well, around the 1500s, the Protestants rose up, and one of the benefits of the Protestant Reformation is they put the Word of God finally into the hands of everyday people. And so a switch came where the central theme of worship was no longer the Eucharist, but it was the preaching of the Word. And so for the next few hundred years, you could look inside the church building, and there are these, these incredibly ornate and built pulpits from which people could preach. I've been in some churches where you've got to go up like this circular staircase and then the pulpit kind of juts out where you, you're like out among the people and you're above them and, you're, and your voice can carry forever. It, some of them are pretty impressive. But that was it. I mean, that the architecture communicated clearly that the central theme has changed. No longer it is, is it the altar where the communion ceremony, where the Eucharist takes place, but it is the preaching of the word that becomes central. And then something else changed again in church history around the 60s and the 70s. And where communion still has value and the preaching of the word is still important, worship, as we understand worship, became a central focus of the church 
service. And so we sit here this morning, we don't have an altar to do um, communion on. We only have a pulpit. I preach off a music stand. <laughs> right? But what we do have up here is a lot of sound equipment. Right? Things changed in the 60s and the 70s where worship, the singing of songs, corporately, as a community together, has become the central theme. The architecture, once again, is communicating to us the value. And so, <clears throat> charismatic worship, charismatic churches, I use the term charismatic to, to define it. We had the Catholic, the Protestant, and the charismatic. It might be painting with a wide brush the three main branches of Christianity, Pentecostal or charismatic, but worship became the centric focus. And so all that other stuff was replaced by sound equipment, music stands, and instruments. And i got to say, you was, the vineyard was central to that. They were key to that. The vineyard played a huge role in ushering into the church worldwide worship as we understand it today. We introduced that style of worship to the world. We were the forums. What began as an exclusively spirit-filled style of worship can now be found in nearly all churches across the theological spectrum. You can even go into the most conservative Baptist church and see people raising their hands in worship. And they'd sing some of the very same songs that we do. That, that's part of our heritage. <laughs> Some might blame us for it, but I think it's a good thing. I think it's a wonderful thing. So worship bands with guitars and drums and keyboards and sound systems and video projectors have replaced hymnals and pipe organs. Now that was, that was foundational to my personal spiritual journey. And I know for many of you as well. And so knowing this, I thought I'd, I'd do some research and find out well, what is it that the vineyard says about worship? And I found this. It's, it's three brief paragraphs. I'll read them to you. I, I think we have slides for it. This is what the vineyard website says about worship. <clears throat> Begins this way. God is eager to be known and experienced by all. We believe that God is searching for lost humanity in order to draw us into intimate relationship with him. In response to God's initiative, we value the life-changing power of the experience of his presence. That kind of sounds a whole lot like what I just said. Second paragraph. The primary place where that relationship is nurtured and developed is in the act of worship, both private and corporate. So experience-based worship is the central activity of all that we do in the vineyard. It is worship that causes all else that we do to become an act of worship. We experience God's presence as a palpable reality when we worship. I think that happened this morning. So this morning we sang the song, To Him Who Sits on the Throne and Unto the Lamb. Well, I'll get to that later. Anyway, I'll get sidetracked. Let me finish this. We experience God's presence as a palpable reality when we worship. As we worship we become increasingly sensitive and responsive to the Spirit's presence so that we can do as Jesus did, see what the Father is doing, John 5, 19, and support his work with us. The experience, the third paragraph, the experience of God flowing out of a life of worship 
affects all aspects of life so that all divisions between the secular and the sacred vanish. We believe that the Spirit distributes His gifts to us, resulting in prophecy, prayer language, healing, miracles, and other gifts as we joyfully experience His presence. Now, I got to tell you, that's just one of the reasons, one of the many reasons why I so love the vineyard. That reflects my heart. That, I, that fits me like a glove. I'm hoping it does for you as well. Now, before I close, and we're going to worship a little bit more at the end, but before I close, let me say a few words about the act of leading worship. I was a worship leader long before I passed to my own church. I've been leading worship for more than 30 years now. You do anything for 30 years, you learn something. You pick up a few things. I've picked up a few things in three decades. <clears throat> I learned as a worship leader <clears throat> that if I sing, the people will sing. But if I worship, the people will worship. And I've been in both. I'm sure you have too. I've been in places where the worship leader, doing the best they can, sometimes you only play the cards you dealt, but they sing. And everybody sings with them. And I've been in other places where it's clear that for the worship leader, they are not just performing a song. They've personally engaged in the act of worship. And, and that's contagious. Other people want to enter into that. So there's a profound difference between performing a song and worshiping God. I've learned that, <clears throat> that in a corporate setting of leading worship, like we did this morning, that the sound guy and the people running PowerPoint are just as important as the singers and the musicians. Let me tell you, and I so appreciate you guys so very much. Amen. Right? You guys have both led worship. You know I'm right. You don't want to upset the sound guy, man. They can make you or break you. But <laughs> they're worse than an angry sound, sound guy. And the same thing's true of PowerPoint. When, when done well, when the sound guy does his job well, when the person running in PowerPoint, the slides have done their, their, their job well, you don't even notice them. You have no idea they're there. You're just knowing it sounds good. You may not even give it a second thought and that the right words are up on the screen when, when you need them to be there. But done poorly, the sights and the sounds can actually become a distraction to worship. So it's, it truly is a group effort. And so you guys really are priceless and I really do appreciate you. Personally, I've always envisioned the role of a worship leader as a doorman. I've always felt that if I'm doing my job well, leading worship on a Sunday morning, that I'm just the guy holding the door open so that you can walk up into the presence of God. Have you ever gone to a fancy hotel that has a doorman? You barely even notice them. You're so enraptured by what's in front of you, by the, the beauty, the majesty of the lobby, or you're so uh, consumed with who you're about to see in that place, that the doorman is he's just kind of off on the periphery. I think a good worship leader is holding the door open so that people could be absolutely consumed with a vision of God. And they may not even know we exist. It's all about Him. Yeah. Nothing I might want more than, than for, for the people that I'm leading in worship to have their entire gaze fixed upon the magnificence of our amazing God. And I've learned that the goal in worship is simply this. For me, 
The goal of worship is the presence of God. That we would, by the time we're done, having had together some experience of his presence. And to that end, there's usually some progressions to the songs that I pick. The first song is usually a gathering song. And we move from gathering to praise. And hopefully from praise to intimacy. And then stay in the intimate place for as long as possible. Remembering all the while that the Holy Spirit's allowed to edit. And so um, for today, uh, Angie and I practiced yesterday to get, um, get our set list together. And we knew that we were going to be leading together, so I asked her to pick three songs, and I picked three songs. And as we practiced together, her three songs were awesome. And my three songs were like, mm, I don't know, I'm just not quite feeling it. I, I thought it was going to be good, but you kind of get to do it. And it was one of those times that um, before I went to bed last night, it was really clear to me that the Holy Spirit's going to edit. And so I had wanted to do originally that song, To Him Who Sits on the Throne and Unto the Lamb. But I decided uh, that was one of the songs I cut out and picked other songs for today. And so when we got here this morning, I'm telling you this story for a reason. We practiced the six songs that we had, had planned to do. <clears throat> and it was about five to ten. And, and as happens on most Sunday mornings, people were gathering in, you know, kind of, kind of milling around, greeting one another. And rather than making an announcement, hey, everybody, come in and we'll start, I just decided, you know what, I'll just, I'll just play a little bit of this song to him who sits on the throne. And, um, and most of you guys know that when the music starts, and I start singing, now it's time that we've started. So I figured I'll use this extra song that had been on my heart, and I'll just use it to help people come in. It didn't work last night when we did it. It kind of fell flat, I thought. But this morning, when I started to sing that song, I was like, wow, there's life on this. The Holy Spirit, being God, is allowed to edit. And so in that moment, we didn't, have to, didn't even have to be any communication between Angie and I. We just both knew. I could feel it, and I could see it on her face. And so um, before we got started, I said to Nadine, bring up to him who sits on the throne. And so we did that song to begin with. And I could just feel the presence of God fill the atmosphere. Why do I say that? I've trained lots of worship leaders. I like working with other people. <clears throat> and you can follow all the points, and you can check off all the boxes, and you have everything as organized as you want. But God is still God. And if he wants to change the set list, guess what? He gets to change the set list. Now, as a, as a pastor, as a leader, as a preacher, as a public speaker, I can tell you what, when worship is good, and I get to experience the presence of God, there's liberty, and a flow begins to happen. And it's no way a performance. So we did that, and Angie got some revelation, and Nadine had some revelation. And I got some revelation. We change the words of the songs. We make up words as we go along. And for us, I can, I can speak for myself. I know, I know my wife very well. I've gotten to know Angie. We're just following his lead. We don't always know where it's going. And it's a, it's a leap. It's a risk of faith. But to that end, knowing that, my heart is this for worship leaders. It's a safe place. We're with friends. We're with family. It's okay to experiment. It's okay to try new things. It's certainly okay to color outside the lines. And if it works, hot dog. That's awesome. Right? We've enjoyed a wonderful experience together. If some of it falls flat, well, then at least the leaders have learned something. Oh, this and this worked. 
But that didn't work so much here. I wonder why. Well, maybe I won't do that next time. But the more positive, the more times you take a risk and there's a positive result, the greater level of trust and confidence you have in following the leading of the Holy Spirit in a public setting. It doesn't just happen overnight. You know where worship leaders are made? They're not made here on a Sunday morning. Worship leaders are made at home with the hours, the hundreds of hours, the thousands of hours that they play with their guitar in their lap or in front of a keyboard all by themselves. And they lose themselves in the presence of God. So what looks like improv here, and it is in the moment, is usually something that was originally birthed when I was worshiping him by myself. It just kind of went in that direction. And it's like, oh, there's life on that path. So it gives me confidence to, to do it publicly when God put it in me privately. Leading worship is like cupping water in your hands. If you hold it too loosely, the water just runs right out. But if you hold it too tight, it just squishes right out. There's, there's some middle balance in there so that you can hold his presence. And I got to tell you, it's a high honor, it's a high privilege uh, to worship God. It's a high honor to preach his word. It's a high honor to lead his people in worship. I think one of the, the best things I've ever done for myself when I was 25 years old is I learned how to play guitar. Before that, I was a percussionist. I played all different kinds of percussion instruments, but primarily conga drums. I was in a band, and it was great. But when you're a conga player and a band breaks up, because if you've ever been in a band, bands break up. That's just the nature of a band. They last for a season, and they don't last anymore, right, John's? The nature of a band is they break up. Well, after the band broke up, I had these three great sounding conga drums, but you know, not much you could do by yourself. I was thinking, well, I better learn how to play guitar. And I had a good friend named Frank Franco, who's an astonishing guitarist, incredible songwriter. He was an inspiration for me. So one birthday, Nadine got me a, a beginner's guitar. I took some classes, uh, adult ed, guitar 101. They taught me a handful of chords, three or four chords, maybe another three or four songs that go along with it. Maybe last. First song was Michael Rode, show, Rode the Boat Show. That was for G and C. So it gave me the practice to switch from a G chord to a C chord, G chord to C chord. And I was determined. I can be a little intense sometimes. So I'm at home, and I'm, I'm strumming this G and C chord, and I'm singing. All I knew is I had one volume, loud. I sing loud. Michael Rode, and I would sing it over and over and over again. She finally burst into the room. She says, if Michael wrote that boat to show off one more time, <laughs> I'll smash that guitar over your head. Learn a new song. <laughs> but, but what was great for me was this. We had just gotten introduced to the vineyard at that time. And vineyard music, if you knew G, C, and D, man, you had a whole slew of songs you could play. Right? Throw in an E minor and an A minor, and you were set. And so that's what happened. I, I learned to play guitar so that I could lead worship at the church we were at. And it just kind of set me on that journey. So let's pray. Angel, why don't you come up? We're going to worship. We're going to do two more songs to end. But let's pray. 
God, would you give us a fresh revelation of worship? I don't think we've reached the zenith of what you have for it to be. I think that there's more. Would you give us a fresh revelation of worship? And, and Lord, for those of us who love to worship, would you take us into even yet the deeper waters? And that in those places we would yet again experience the magnificence of your presence in ever-increasing wings. And Lord, for those of us who worship is like, eh, I could take it or leave it, Lord, would you do something for them as well? Touch them in a fresh and a new way. Let them experience your presence, oh God, in new and, and creative and unexperienced ways before. Lord, we want more you. I'm thank you. I thank you, Lord, that you've used worship in my life to, as, as a passageway to get from here to there. I want more, Lord. I'm not content. I'm not satisfied. The more I have of you, the more I want of you, oh God. Give us more. Give us more. Lord, I pray that, that worship would explode in this place. I pray, Lord, that you would send to us more and more worshipers. Lord, and if some of them are musicians, great. And if some of them can sing, great. Send us painters and dancers. Do it, Lord. Lord, I ask that you would marry passion to worship for us. And that we would just blaze with fire. Make it so, God. Make it so. Thank you, Jesus. So I think, I think what would be good is if we, um, we just did a couple more songs to end the service. And at the end of the second song, 